0: Hello. Welcome to Braveful, a podcast with and for achieving women. I'm your host, Amy Zeigert. I'm so excited to share with you stories of women who are brave and gutsy. This show is a weekly view into the hearts and minds of what has enabled these fabulous ladies to take a leap and go forward with bold ideas. So join me in an opportunity to listen, learn, and lean in Braveful style. Hello, Braveful listeners. Thank you for joining me for episode three of season two. Today's guest is Tracy LaMaurie. She comes from Canada, but I will tell you one of the most interesting conversations I, I didn't want it to end. That's why this is a long podcast. But, you know, in her words, you know, she's a smart activist, but a brilliant advocate. You know, she years ago decided to take a stand, and she decided to help a man on death row. And from there, because of her advocacy, created a whole business for herself. She took a passion, and she turned it into a new passion. She wasn't afraid, she just said yes, and learned so much from this conversation. I think the one thing that I see and here coming from this if you see an injustice, do something. And again, she's just a unique individual where <laughs> in between being a publicist to being a book writer to being an advocate to being a woman who takes chances, risks, and she's not afraid just to go in with both feet. So I think the The lesson from this podcast is just do everything with kindness. Do everything based upon an empathetic view. And um, I think it'll take you far because it's taken Tracy really far. So um, hats off to Tracy, and I look forward to keeping our conversation going. And um, I look forward to becoming more of an activist and an advocate. Because right now, this—that's what this this world needs, and we need to listen and learn from each other, and that's what I've done on this podcast. So, hope you'll take the time and listen all the way through, or at least listen to it in between whatever you're doing. Um, and I really appreciate your support. So, have a great day, and remember to be kind. First off, thank you so much, Tracy, for joining me today, and for um, thank you coming a a new member of the Braveful um family. So I really appreciate it. So this conversation, I want to start it off with something that I've, you know, you sent me a bunch of information. I did some research and it says Tracy Lamori,
1: the media mogul who founded her empire on kindness. I was almost embarrassed when that came out. Like I, I knew the article was coming out, but I had no idea like I was like, oh, my God,
0: (laughs) that was really kind of embarrassing. What's, What's
1: interesting today is most
0: people find they create a business for a business reason, not for an altruistic reason.
1: Yeah, because I didn't know I was going to be creating a business. You know what I mean? I did by the time I thought of it at 41, gee, I should start. But I kind of, it was more like I had the light bulb moment that I could use all that stuff I'd done in advocacy work right. to make money. And then I started freelancing and then started doing really, really well. And people were like, that's a business. You should, and I'm right. like, oh, what? Huh? <laughs> so I- well,
0: and, and I think that's what's so honest about your story is that, you know, not only are you doing it out of, you know, your your kindness, empathy, et cetera, which we all know 2020 was kind of the year of the empathy. I mean, when you think about it, but you know, the, the other part that I find very interesting is that you helped free an innocent man. And again,
1: was that something you focused on or is it something that you fell upon? uh that was an interesting story literally it fell upon i mean we were at my husband it was my husband and myself in those days was again way before we ever thought of being a publicist it was all of that 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 taught us you know and years later that we thought hey we could use that to not use that but to use those skills so yeah no we were we had a radio show in our you know mid-20s was his show and i came on and kind of activisty uh anti-racist stuff that sort of stuff it was no longer by by 1998 when we met jimmy dennis it wasn't anymore we were just making but the internet was new right so we thought oh we could still have a voice make a little web page Just add links to, we weren't thinking anything big, add links to whatever was. We wanted to share. And somewhere in the little corners of the internet, I fell upon this, literally like Jimmy Dennis, who's the man you're talking about, had paid $20 to be listed on somebody where somebody had gone to type up to be, and you know, it was, I guess it was a prisoner pen pal site, which we would never have been on. It was something, you know, down the rabbit hole, racism, rip, corruption, and all of a sudden we're at this thing. But he said, I'm not, I'm not looking for pen pal. I'm not looking for a relationship. I literally, I don't know how else to get the word out of Anybody out there has any ideas to help me, please do. And I don't know, you know, I know we were activists, but someone asked me in a podcast, but why did you we wrote a letter. We actually wrote a letter and sent it. Said, how innocent can this guy be? Tell us about it. And I think it's because we'd had that radio show just a few years before. So not just activists, we were still feeling like information gatherers. Do you know what I mean? So how innocent can this guy be? Let's see. That's, that's, I think, what the Difference was so then so we we write and then he writes us back. I said eighteen pages in the podcast the other day, but Jimmy reminded me it was actually a twenty eight page letter, both sides written, wow. with the whatever legal documents he had in his cell. And then we found later we later we went to the court records and we you know from somebody else that got involved and literally read the entire case before we started getting public about it. But even when he but what happened is he first sent us that you know so he's twenty eight page letter. We just write letters saying how innocent can this guy be, and from death row comes a desperate person who spent time to write a 28 page letter. So now what do we do with that as 28 year old activists who aren't lawyers, who aren't PR? Now that we get that, did, was that just like a lark? Was that just fun for us? You know, Hey, that's cool. We got a letter. This is a a person who a 28 pages both sides. And when you read it, it was like, Whoa, there. And then the uh, documentation that he sent along with it, it was disturbing. So we thought, Oh my God. Clearly, we have to do something here. What do we do? So my husband learned to make a website, literally in the early days when it was easier, right. and I literally write Netscape, you know. And I literally thought, okay, huh? How do I write a press release? And I went to Alta Vista, literally to precursor to Google. And when I was twenty-eight, I'm forty. I'm fifty-one now. I'm losing track. I'm fifty-one now. I was. T- I was 28 and I went to Google, to, to Alta Vista. I literally learned to write a press release. Four immediate release, three or four paragraphs. And then I went, because we had the internet The early. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Facebook. But we had, you know, the... We could go to the website of the info at newsroom.com. That's how I started, literally around the world. And we ended up getting information out about his case, but also on the other side, outside of America, which developed a team inside of America at that time, it was before the days of you know making a murderer, before all the wrongful conviction shows. It was really hard to get any attention for someone that was convicted. So inside America, the story became us. Oh, look at these people putting death penalty prisoners online. So we ended up correct that messaging, putting out messaging about how this is not a joke, this is blah. So that there, I'm 28 years old, getting us on CNN, MSNBC, Court TV, AE, wow. like CBC, our national here did a 40-minute documentary on our work. Meanwhile, we're still in sales and marketing. We're still doing, I mean, not professionally, I mean, professionally, but I mean, entry levels, working for someone else, doing the nine to five, going to a part-time job, coming home after our part-time job and doing all this stuff where other people would watch TV. Right. But it sounds like epic. You know, when you look back on it, you're like, oh, my God, you know, help free an instant man from death row. But, and it's hard, like, not to tell that story with it sounding epic. But I always want to bring it back to, You know what? Like, because you asked why. So when you're starting to do that, you know, you're an activist. You're young. You're just starting stuff. We didn't think it was a 20-year campaign. We weren't even thinking in terms of campaign. It was just get the word out, do it. And then we became really close with Jimmy. He was not a cause. He became a friend. Because we're on the phone. He had one 15-minute call a week. Uh And it came to us because his family didn't have long distance. So we were like relaying messages to his family, to his mom, to his. This is all the other cases we were talking about the death penalty. But this case, we knew we had looked up and down. It was devastatingly true that he was innocent. We're like, whoa, this can't lose this one. We have to support. So it ended up being. day to day thing and and i think the reason people don't do things like this it's not because i'm special or epic or awesome i'm kind of brave <laughs> but i mean that's what it comes down to but that's what it comes down to though is people don't realize they can do this stuff and so they don't same reason people don't start a business or they don't do whatever they don't they think oh yeah that's all. so i think if people thought hey i could have a huge impact and help free an innocent man help feed a community of starving children. I can really do that. I think most people would would really put three hours of their time into that instead of watching Game of Thrones. Most people would, but they don't believe they really can. They think, ah, no, but you know, it's just not camp. So they just sit back and they don't do anything. They don't start a business. They don't, you know, so that's what a lot, I've had this weird journey, but look, and then the end of the story, that's how I started. And now without any school, without whatever, after I figured out to be a freelancer, then I was a general partnership and then I started my business, literally ended up being an international, Award-winning publicist now. I'm working across industries. I work in Hollywood. I work with entrepreneurs of all kinds. I work in in 2019 before the world you know closed. <laughs> I literally had nine business trips to eight with eight different clients and one friend that I was acting with as a publicist. Not, so nine different projects to five countries on four continents. And all the VIP trip things that like go with a publicist and parties and Hollywood. I'm planning a VIP party in Malibu for a client launch party. It's crazy. Like, I should never be doing any of this. And why did it start? Because I, I, I wrote a guy on death row, me and my husband who was asking for help. And I mean, it's not just someone in prison. It's somebody, the layers of that, we're going to kill you. You are garbage. You're dirt. Imagine the trauma and the, you know, and he's, by the way, an incredibly strong person, like amazing. He's an R&B artist now. He was released in 2017. Everybody, if you like this story, he's the amazing part of it. Jimmy Dennis music, all streaming platforms because now I don't have to talk about saving his life. I could just be his music publicist. He came out before he was convicted. He was an artist. He was this close to being signed, when he was 21 years old. And then when he gets out, when we're all 47, first thing he does after, you know, recovering for a day is go right back into the music studio with the thousands of songs he literally wrote while he was in there in his mind. And he's released four of them so far with two coming out. And he's been BET, Rolling Stone, all kinds of stuff. And I mean, it's a Hollywood story, right? If you've ever heard it. And that's all I can, all I can say about that is Hollywood agrees. Watch what's coming. I was going (laughs) to say, sounds like a really good movie I'm going to have to go see. But people would just think like if you wrote that, People would literally not believe it. Because it's one thing to have the death row, but then, you know, these, these activist kids that with the crazy red hair and the long hair that start that don't know anything that started, you know, then 20 years later, by the time he gets out, somehow we're international publicists. So now he gets out. Oh, I'm not a death row prisoner anymore. And I'm not, you know, just an activist anymore. Now I'm actually a, an RB artist. And by the way, I'm an international publicist. So let me introduce you to this. <laughs> you know what, what's what's interesting though? Think of how his life would be different if he wouldn't have responded to that letter. Think about it. That's what he says. I mean, I always say, well, you know, the lawyers ended up coming in because two years in, lawyers that were looking for a case of factual innocence got involved. We got involved in 98. They came in around 2001. They were literally looking. This is like unicorn stuff. That doesn't happen the way people think it does. It doesn't happen. And this law firm out of Washington with seven lawyers, they were actually looking for a a, pro, a deserving pro bono case. Because they're successful law firm doing all this stuff. They they wanted to work on an innocent man. And they started asking around. And everyone, they started hearing Jimmy Dennis, Jimmy Dennis, Jimmy Dennis, because of the work that we'd been doing. Because when we came in, he was no. So I say, well, you know what? He wouldn't be out without the lawyers, obviously, right? right. And he wouldn't. But Jimmy says when he tells the story, he says it all changed when Tracy and Dave wrote us. And that's, I always say, oh, you know, things would happen. He's like, no, because other people, he's like, no, no, that's when things change. You guys put up the website. And not only that, I talked to his dad, you know, a week after and he didn't even know who we were. He's like, because we, first thing I did, I always been a writer. I wasn't a publicist, but I was a writer. So I wrote up a little brochure putting together all this information that was confusing because nobody's going to read the whole court document the way we did. So I put it together like you're used to reading in a three-page brochure, breaking it all down. And the family had never seen anything like that. They were like, oh, my God, to the point where they they didn't even know who I was, just somebody else helping. And they were like, did you see? I don't know who made it, but we have this. So they were like thrilled to have the, the little, because nobody had done that. So those little basic things that started to put it together so that people with more power, people who would, could fight for him in the courts, You know, and then also other people like us got involved in Australia, in Turkey for a while, in New Zealand. It was about 20 people at different times in a core group that, for about 20 years, about, about eight of us from America. From, but honestly, because all those, we, we send out releases to like literally Amnesty International in Turkey. They responded. They, like everybody around the world, there was like a little news article in Turkey. There was articles in Australia on a small level that people like us, non-publicists generated. And then later I looked at all this and I was like, when I was 41, thinking, hold on, when I'm about to make another call, another 20 calls for something I don't care about in my sales job. <laughs> you know, literally, literally. And I went, wait a minute. I don't know why it took that long. Cause I wrote my first press release at 28 international media all that time. By 41, I had to calm down because the lawyers were doing their work. They often don't want a lot of noise while they're doing their work. So we were like standing down. We were supporting Jimmy in the back, but not doing hey, all kinds of media while they're doing their thing. Right. And, um, that's the way usually lawyers, they, they believe in the courts and they like to do their work in the courts without, you know, and in this case, we were like, okay, these guys are actually doing it. They're as long as things are moving forward, cool. That's <laughs> all we wanted was to get that attention. Why did it take you long? That's the nightmare that people ask. And that's the lesson of American ju- injustice. There are people who are on death row for, that's the norm. There are lots of people who are on death row for 20 years. And well, a them, and the reason they're on for 20 years, because they had, for like Jimmy had two execution dates. Thank all the heavens that like because this appeals weren't finished and that if nobody had acted to stop those dates appeals finished or not they would have been executed at five years or ten so it's a matter of the, the lawyers and his family had paid for a lawyer at the beginning with all the money they could save but still the lawyer did a crap job didn't really do didn't even go see him till the day of the trial so none of the stuff that came out later factual stuff that could have been shown in court that proved that he wasn't here he wasn't there he wasn't none of that was brought up in the original trial and yet it took they fought 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 every step no retrial no retrial, no nothing. So that's just the way it is. They like to hold on to their convictions. They don't like to reopen them because they're the, the argument on the top. There's literally been a decision I can't remember right now because I'm not so well versed in this anymore. But there's a federal state level decision, a very famous case, precedent setting case, which literally has the judge saying that evidence of innocence is not enough to take you off a death row. It has to be a procedural. You can't even have a new trial. unless this is a procedural thing where you can point to a particular person made a mistake at one point in the trial. If something just came up later and, And, you know, obviously, sometimes that can be a judge will see something, go, hey, no, stop this. And you'll have a a, a judge like Miss Anita Brody, who finally saw justice in 2013 and said in her in a precedent setting long decision that what we've been saying all this time and broke it all down with the corruption and the innocent. And you know what's really shocking? That was 2013. Remember when I told you when he got out? 2017. So three and a half years he stayed in prison on death row after that. And that's the justice system in America. And that's why we got so galvanized. When you look into the death penalty, even if you're pro-death penalty, you know, but I mean, at first we were like, well, definitely, like we came into it from the innocent side. We're like, I don't want to hear about anybody that's guilty or whatever. But once we started getting involved with this, we're like, whoa, 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 the system is so messed up that it's actually way not what you think it is. You know, and there's so many different levels to it. They say the support for the death penalty is a mile wide and an inch deep. We all identify with the victims and we all feel bad. But then when you start looking at it, you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 what? Especially if you're thinking about social justice issues and the impact of all these different things. So like an onion, it's crazy. But we just started with Jimmy Dennis, like, an innocent guy it was clear. We were just like, whoa, somebody has to look at this. And thank God, because there were times he always said, never, never give up. And he always signed every letter with praying for the truth of whatever year and believed. He had to believe it was going to, you know, in order not to, to die, he had to believe it was going to be different. Right. Oh, it would have been so easy not to. I mean, yeah. So. It was so strong. But there was times that I believed it too because I didn't see any other way this story could end. But we also got involved with the death penalty and we saw other people we believe were innocent, not people we knew like Jimmy, not people we, we knew it and we had gotten involved. Right. But there were other people where I'm pretty damn sure they were innocent too. And it was disturbing and they were executed. So there was a time when I was like, and that's Texas and stuff. But I was like, oh my God. That cannot be the end of the story. This guy calls us us my kids, his nephew and niece still does, and we still talk three times a day. He's doing an interview right now about the DA race in Philadelphia right now about because they're trying to like yeah he's out there talking about justice, trying to free other innocent people. He's like, he's braveful. Yeah, you should do a special boy edition. Maybe,
0: <laughs> Maybe that's a good idea. Well, so so here you're you know you're embracing human rights you're embracing all of that meanwhile you're on this other the sidetrack track that's your other job I mean so
1: how did the two come together how did the Lemuria media part come into it yeah so yeah so before I was 41 there was no connection with my work and all of this it was just literally other people paying me to just sell things or whatever you know like a day job right and a part-time job, both. <laughs> we were like, you know, um, we were busy activists. <laughs> we 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 bought a house in Toronto, which is not easy. Um, so yeah, we were, but we had no money. We were like poor, you know what I mean. we were like ah, right. But um, we were struggling. But yeah, so that was just a day job at the end. And whenever we'd done that, we close the books on the day, and we come home and we do that. It wasn't. It was literally when I was and I was working from home. The reason I kept on doing some of those basic level jobs right. was because I was able to do them from home. Luckily enough, I lucked in early enough. I mean, I'm talking mid 90s and on. I was doing work from from home so that I could do CCADP, the death penalty stuff out of one eye. And then later when I had my son, I could continue to work. So I've always worked every single day of my life, but for a while I was doing it from home. So that's what I was doing when I was 40, doing just sales, whatever contract. I think I was selling ISO, some customer service thing. <laughs> I'm sure it's awesome. Uh, when, you know, when I was 41 and it literally, it was like a light bulb moment that one day when I was sitting there ready to make another 20 calls, no lie. And I, I don't know what I, I wish I could remember what I was thinking the moment before that. I don't remember what I was thinking the moment before that, but I clearly remember thinking, huh, wait a minute, couldn't I, wait, wait, hold on, like, it just literally hit me that I've been writing press releases for, like, 15 years, not just on that death penalty stuff, which got us on MSNBC, CNN, Court TV, blah, 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 and all that stuff, but also, you know, I got involved with a local political campaign as a passionate activist, I was like, hey, let me do your press release, they're like, what? I ended up writing, doing the press release, they didn't have me be the campaign manager, literally, because, and this was was a major party, because- I was doing it. I was I was strategically minded. I was acting a campaign. I was, I was a publicist. As in, I was an active, a smart activist. I was a brilliant advocate, which taught me all those things that you need to do. You know, now that I look back on it, right? That sounds funny, but I don't mean to be bragging. But when I look back on it, all the things I did as a as a twenty year old activist when we tried to bring the union and when we did all our messaging, when I was an activist and I look back on stuff we did to try to convince the other kids in the in the call center to be in the union or when I, you know, I, oh my first press release that I wrote for Jimmy Dennis when I was twenty eight, I saw that recently and as an award winning international publicist working across industries a decade later, twenty years after I wrote that, I look at that going, I wouldn't change much. Wow i'm like seriously good messaging so when i finally figured when i'm 41 i'm like hold on wait a minute i'm the biggest idiot in the world because i'm working at a call center for like 20 bucks an hour like from home you know for 20 bucks an hour and i am doing Work that people pay 300 bucks an hour for, but I'm just doing it for me, and my friends, and my act. Wait a minute. So, when I finally had that light bulb moment, like it was literally like that, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Like it took that long. <laughs> when I finally had that light bulb moment, I was like, okay, I'm smart and strategically like figure that out, like right now. So, I went to there was like free freelance sites, and I literally went to a couple of freelance sites like Upwork. I think it's Upwork now, but it used to be. Uh, Elance and free whatever, Freelance, a couple, I signed up on a couple of those, put my best bio and really low prices. Cause I'm a tele, I was a telemarketer in my head. So I put just a little bit more than telemarketer prices. And of course I ate the couple, I got one or two customers and I aced it. And then after that, I raised my price a little bit still on those things. Okay. And then I get Rosa Parks cousin finds me. Angela Sadler Williamson, Rosa Parks' cousin, for her award-winning coming movie, which is out now, this is years ago, called My Life with Rosie, about Rosa's next 30 years of activism. I'm like, and she chooses me, the, the white girl from Canada, okay. But I'm, I'm actually in the credits, thanked in the credits. And then she did a book for kids about it. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm the PR publicist for that too. So by the time I'm doing that, and again, I've never gone to school for this, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm really in the game. I've got like Rosa Parks, like this is not just a big name. This, is like, I'm an activist, man. Rosa Parks is a legend in my world, you know, but that's like, I used to write Thank You, Sister Rosa on the anniversary of her death because there's a song in Canada like that. And, you know, and then all of a sudden her cousins Harvey. Like, I literally sat in Detroit in a row of two rows of Rosa Parks family members watching this movie. And then my name comes up in the credits. I'm like, I can't even. <laughs> wow. Like, so your story
0: is truly one of taking what you love, aside from what you love doing, because you love advocacy. I'm going to take
1: your words. You're a smart activist and you're a brilliant advocate. So you've. And I did. I, don't, I, I didn't mean to sound like that. But whoa. when I look back at that kid in the 20s, I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> it, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you truly led with your heart and look where it has has taken you. It's rude. I know, I can barely believe it. Like I never would have. Believed. Like honestly, if you would have told me this again, I'm a te- I'm a te- I'm not trained for anything. I'm a telemarketer in a call center. Yeah, but somehow I managed to do that from home, and now again, people are paying me because they need me all over the world. They need me specifically to go there to think like what, like Jamaica, Malta, you know, like uh, Washington D.C. Hollywood, like I've been to Beverly Hills. Twice. You have this picture of me in Beverly Hills, literally a little coffee shop drinking it, a maca, whatever. And my look is like, and I'm literally like, this is my what the heck am I doing in Beverly Hills? <laughs> 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 I literally have one so, I like to pay for So, what do you think your life lesson is getting to this point? I, get, I, mean, I hate to sound like Nike, you know, I don't like to just do it. But, you know, honestly, just in terms of believing and looking at this and saying, how can I do it? Because I couldn't have predicted this. But but is, this is still, my goal wasn't this. You know what I mean? Right. This is a weird side effect. And now this is my passion because now I realize I have the skills, aside from the activist stuff, because my business isn't just activists now. I work with entrepreneurs, creatives. They don't to be really trying to change the world. they entrepreneurs who And now that's an interesting new passion because I was never business-minded. Right? But now I'm meeting all these people who, you know, are just as awesome. Because like, I'm really, it's, it's the heart-centered thing. They're creating their own other authors or speakers or just an entrepreneur, like a personal chef. And they just hired me. She had no TV or media. It's all about finding those opportunities, introducing people, you know? And How I didn't even you know those, that. For that production company. How do you think you do that? Well, again, strategic. I'm smart. I'm, I work. I, I, it's not all magic. I work all like I'm here at three in the morning thinking, what can I Google to find? What can I? And I, you know, I pay for some list to be connected to this or that. And like other things just I hear about, you know, after years of doing this, I don't even know anymore. Like I know some things that are tools that I could give you if you were starting out right now, but other things are just like, I don't even know how I got on that list or why I'm getting messages. So why do you think they're asking you to join? Because you clearly have a gift. Um, and <laughs> Someone liked me. <laughs> Someone put me on a list. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just, that's amazing to take. Even though I keep joking that it's, it's Hamilton. I'm in Hamilton, which is a, a little bit out of Toronto. And we have like what they call a mountain here, which is literally like a glorified hill, right? It's like the the Niagara encarpment, but it's without the Niagara part. So anyway, I keep saying, so I'm like, yeah, because Niagara falls is like 40 minutes away. So we're like yeah. the part of the escarpment, but we're just there. So it's like that without the without the water. And it's not as fun. But anyway, I always say it's Hamilton Mountain, not Hollywood Hills this year. I whatever. I can't do much about it. But I'm still making magic happen from here as much as I can.
0: Wow. Well, so speaking of this crazy year now, you have a book coming out, Get Rept. And so tell us a little bit about
1: that. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of the same stuff I talk about in most podcasts, which is to an audience of entrepreneurs and executives. So it's build your brand with effect, It's get wrapped, build your brand with effective public and media relations. And the reason it's kind of aimed at entrepreneurs and executives, though I'm writing it so that literally anybody who wants media will get benefit from it. And the last part is kind of, do you think you might want to be a publicist? Do you think you might have the skills to be a publicist? Because if you're in marketing and you're reading this, you might have a lot of the same thing, but it's a whole different it's like a cousin, but different. So I I break down how it's different, what you need and all that, but essentially it's for entrepreneurs and executives. And the reason it was kind of business-based is because I was asked to write it, they asked me to write the book on PR. I was asked to write it by um, propriety publishing, which is one of my clients. And we had made their, some of their business books, Amazon bestsellers. And so she's like, Oh, and they do, and they mostly do like business publishing, but soft skills kind of stuff. And she's like, PR would totally fit in there. Can you write the book about how you do this? And she asked me this like three years ago and I'm so busy doing PR. It took me a long time, but this year I'm actually like, nope, it's in my schedule now. Write a chapter, write a chapter. So wow. by the end, you know, so hopefully it'll be up soon. And then I hope to also have, you know, people, people do those online courses and all that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but my publisher, again, she's like chapters, would she read them and she said the chapters would make a really good online course. So, so even a publicist has, has a publicist? She's more, she's my publisher. Oh, but sure. she's like okay. but but it's funny now that you said that, because I have a couple of clients who who work I have two clients who their resumes say publicist. You know, one is past who's more of a lobbyist, right? Okay. And the other one was an act. Oh, like it's funny when you read his thing, it's not active anymore, but he owned a big ass PR firm. And but he's but he comes to me to like I'm the publicist for him. So yeah, the publicist do I don't, because I'm like, yeah. I don't see a publicist doing it better than me because when I Google publicist, I don't see any other one publicist with, you know, nearly 200 interviews. Like I said, I didn't go to school for this. Maybe they think, Oh, you shouldn't do that. You should, but we're about building brands. I'm showing you how to build your brand. Right. Like I've yeah. literally done this for myself. So then if somebody wanted
0: to write a book, could they come to you and you'd help them find a publisher or what
1: would you do? Yeah. And I could help. About oh, that too. Absolutely. Yeah, I work people. I work with a lot of authors at all different phases. I love, um, you know, fiction is different from nonfiction. Right. But non, we'll talk about the nonfiction first because I work with the fiction too, but that's like work with the movie people. That's like a different, you know, stories. But we're, in terms of a, a nonfiction author, which is most people that come to me or someone sharing their story or whatever. Yeah, you're an expert. It's just like you're an entrepreneur. You're an expert in whatever field you're writing about. To me, the person is the client. Like, I don't care really if you're like, to me, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or an author because it's not my job to sell your books. It's not my job to sell your product. And that's what I explain to entrepreneurs. It's the difference between advertorial and editorial. It's the difference between sales and marketing and what I do. I'm a cousin, like I help you. Yeah, obviously if people see what you do and they like you, that is going to help benefit. You're going to sell more, you're going to whatever. But my job is to build up your credibility, your brand, you, your thought leadership, so that when you open your mouth, whether it's to sell that book, whether it's to get a next job, whether it's to whatever, I sell you so you can do whatever. I sell you so you can be successful. So it's like one of my clients said who's, you know, building a, a an amazing brand called High B, which is taking on Airbnb for a niche market, the cannabis market, which a lot of people think, oh, that's interesting. But if you're if you're in that community, you understand, oh my God, that's Crazy because people are afraid to use Airbnb because they're going to get, you know, the, all the rules about restrictions of Airbnb. And we're in Canada, which is legal coast to coast, right? So okay. it's a huge, and we're talking like lawyers, doc, I mean, the people that are involved in cannabis now are like big money oh, people, it's right? Money here, yeah. It's crazy. So she has this idea, well, you know what? And, and it was a cute idea, a good idea, but she had some financial backing a little bit. Then I came in, I'm like, no, no, we build you as the power woman. We build you as the cri-. so. And she is, right? She's got a history in TV. She. So we started getting interviews about her. Then they start then interviews about how the funding they were getting, which she said, you've changed my business in, in like however many weeks. And I was like, what? I love like, the name. I love the name. High BV. Like, check it out. Oh, gosh, we got so much going. Then I introduced it to uh, yesterday, you know, m- my Hollywood connections is how this works. Completely different industry. Somebody interviewed me for a podcast. This is why I love doing podcasts. A Hollywood writer saw me on a podcast and said, I want to interview you for Formid- Formidable Woman magazine and for Hollywood Times. So she did that. And then she said to me, which is great for my brand, but even better because I'm more excited about what I can do for my clients. She says to me, I just want to introduce you to somebody I think you're like her. And she connects me. And she was thinking because she's, um, she's on the board of directors of an international women's cannabis organization. Right. I thought that's great. She's also, because she we're all power women in different, right? You know what? She also owns a talent agency in Hollywood, hugely successful talent agency. When she heard about high B&B, she was like in love. She fell in love with it. She's like, oh my God, she stopped their international board meeting for the women's cannabis organization. To say, everybody pull up your phones and look at this. We need to like back this. We need to, you know, support this lady. because And then what she said, because this was my work where I thought to myself, oh good, because she said, this is the kind of strong woman led company run by a strong woman we want to support. Why did she know that? Because you did it. Because when I met her, I didn't know that. That was my strategy of saying, we've got to show people who you are. And talk. it was all true. But putting her out there as the And her partner, who is a guy who's walked away, at the you know, since then. But he was like, oh, kind of giving his pushback on that. Well, that sounds kind of feminist. There was nothing feminist about it. It was a strong leader story. And he said, it "Was I'm like, where do you, it's nothing. Like, it was literally ridiculous, you know, but that's the kind of thing you'll get. And you question yourself, what well, was I, was I being, no, 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 no. I, and for a minute, when she said, he said that, I said, okay, we can change it. And then at three in the morning, I said, And this is a brand new client. This is my job, not to just, it's like a lawyer. I have to tell you when we're on the wrong track, right? Right, right. And at three in the morning, I came back. I said, you know what? I need you to reconsider. Obviously you're the client. Maybe you're right. I don't know that, you know, but reconsider because they were worried that it would affect funding. He was saying it's going to affect them getting funding. I said, I don't think so. This is an issue that we're having in the industry right now where we're talking about 97% of businesses being male run in the cannabis space, which is not what the advocates were, not how we got here. Now all of a sudden bankers and lawyers are coming in, taking over. So we need to add to that conversation and saying, look, here is, a, in this case, you have a strong woman led company, support this. So we changed that conversation, making that a huge strength. And that's literally and now we hear from the like what just happened in a call yesterday. All of a sudden, this power woman, Hollywood celebrity studded lady, she's so excited about it. She wants to get into in the picture. She said it'd be good for her to be part of a launch party. And now we're going to be doing like a launch party in Hollywood, like Castle in Malibu style, which this new lady that I just met is, is going to be taking the lead on. I like, can just, you know, do some work from here and come to the party. Oh, so I- again, again, I went on a podcast. A writer heard the podcast and said she wanted to interview me. And then she said, oh, I'll introduce you to this lady. I talked about my client. And then now my client's like, wait a minute, what just happened? I'm like, not sure. But, you know, <laughs> you're welcome. Offer under a thousand dollars a month. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so I, I mean, you're, I,
0: I'm like, I made my mouth open. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
1: Too many stories.
0: No, no, that's what I love. So you're helping people be successful in a very unique way by doing what you love and you basically haven't you didn't let not being formally educated stop you you didn't let even living in another country stop you and you didn't let your beliefs whatever they may be stop you so and now you've written a book and i guess are you ever going to write a book about your
1: story Oh my gosh. I wouldn't even know where to start. Like even to, you know what, which part of it would it be the part about, you know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't even know it would be like how many, it would be so many different audiences. Like, cause I could write a, literally a whole book on the from 1998 to 2003, the five years that we were most actively doing the death penalty stuff. We did the Jimmy Dennis way past all that, but there was a five years from from when we were 28 till we had my, till I had my son, which obviously then we were, you know, right. engaged in parenting. <laughs> After I came home from work, it was paratime, not, not computer time. But I mean, from 1998 till 2003, I mean, literally, we came home from work. We had two computers next to each other. We did five hours. I'd be t- answering letters to prisoners. He'd be whatever. We, my husband and I, we'd be answering media, doing interviews. Like, it was our job, five hours a day. And my dad literally said to me, and I I, I say this all the time, he was right. And I knew he was right when he said it. I, the business was the farthest thing from my mind. they might have said it's like he was saying, you could walk, you know, if you plan to walk on a mountain in the Himalayas, that's how much it was sounding to me, you know, but he literally said to me when I was 28, 29, I guess, a year after we started this, if you guys spend as much time building a business as you do on this death row stuff, you'd be a millionaire by the time you're 30. And I didn't even argue with him. I was like, all right. right oh, wow. Well. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, oh my God. Thanks Dan, you know? for the advice. I got to move on. I was like, I was like, you know, you're totally right. He's right. Cause we are, you know, and he was right looking back. Right. But that was, but I'm glad we didn't because we had another job then and it led to me having it now Jimmy Dennis called me for a cell, not a cell, you know, oh, And we talk about how the biggest, right. And we talk about how the biggest thing we're like, he's having a bad day or something. And I'm like, I know, but listen, seriously now, you know, look at where you were four years ago. And by the way, it was four years ago today, that he walked out of jail. I, I messaged him this morning and said, Happy Freedom Day. It came up in my Facebook memories four years ago today. Oh, my God. And there's a way... I should find the crazy picture of me on Facebook because I literally, you know, people say you laugh and you cry at the same time. Yeah. Someone took a picture of me and we thought he was getting out. we knew he was getting out. But I, I until he walked out and called me. I'm not believing it because we had so many, you know, Right. that's why we weren't there. We'd always planned to be there at the time when he got out. But then because it was some weird stops and starts and we were in Canada, we weren't able when they finally opened the door. It's like, just get out. Right. We weren't able run. to go on planet. <laughs> so when, yeah, run, man, just go. So when he finally got out and, and hilarious. So, he, oh, my God, they get out. The lawyers want to take a pr- picture of him leaving the prison. So they get out of the car to take a picture and the in prison comes to say they're going to arrest you for taking a picture on the ground. If you don't leave, well, like, you got to be kidding me. Like, can I just tell you, can I say bad uh, words to you I right mean, now? I Cause seriously, you, see see you see know, um, but then he, when he finally, when he picked up the phone and he called and he called and we're like, hello? I'm like, just waiting for it to be on. Yeah. I'm still in jail. Like, I'm just not believing it. I'm right. just not buying it after 19 years. And he, I'm like, so what's going on? He's like, I'm out. I'm like, what, what do you mean? I am unbelievably. Honest. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean? Cause he called us literally. And then, and then, but literally I like, I started crying. Like I literally la- cracked up and I started crying. I was like, and then I was like, "What the heck was that? Like, I didn't even realize how there was so much like in- <laughs> emotion, yeah. like, like inside, right?" It's almost like
0: crazy. You, know, you had, you were pregnant for twenty years, and you finally yeah, exactly birth
1: to life. It's like, oh, really? Whoa! Oh, yeah, well, you know, he finally got oh. his uh, life back. Yeah, and now he's using it. Like I said, he's he's using it to sing and all that, which is amazing because that's a record. I mean, nobody's done that. You know, come out and gone back to their dream and built their dream. And now he's not letting that 25 years stealing his life take away from what his original dream was, who he originally was. So that's amazing. But I'm also really proud of him. Like he keeps saying to me, "I promised you and Dave. I promised you and Dave when I was in there. When I got out, I would speak about other innocent people." And you know, he did. I would never have held him to that. But back in the days when we were 28 and 29, we talked about how we were forming this organization together. As far as we were concerned, the Canadian Coalition the death penalty, was Tracy and Dave and this guy, Jimmy Dennis, who currently lived on death row in Pennsylvania, but wouldn't forever. And so when he came out, he literally, now he's doing it to the point where like, even where it's at risk to himself, because right now there's a a hugely contentious DA race going on in Pennsylvania, Or if you Google it, it's kind of crazy because we got a unicorn DA there who got in three years ago, who literally is fighting corruption. Like, you don't, we're like, whoa, he's he's freed like 20 innocent people in the last three years. They don't do that. They don't do that. Like they don't. And so there's a huge pushback to the order of police and all these people trying to get their old guy in who was previously with the old scene. So they're like putting all kinds of money towards this guy. And now the guy that Jimmy... And Jimmy's not usually wanted to go stump for a politician. He's not because... You know, it's not as you'll talk about justice, but he's going right out there and say, "No, vote for this guy, vote for this guy." He's doing the right thing. We don't see this, right. and they're trying to bring like the old school. So he's been out there like it's his job. Yesterday on an interview, today doing two interviews. Meanwhile, he's doing a concert in LA that they wanted because the music. I'm telling you, the music people are interested in him.
0: Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely listen. So, so what are some of your big activist things that you're you're championing today?
1: Yeah, so it's always, and I love when my, you know, businesses and my activist stuff merge. Right. So, um, and of course, I'm always just a general activist too. People are sending me stuff and asking me to help and, you know, right. little things here and there, um, but wherever I can. I've newly gotten involved. I shouldn't say you gotten involved because I haven't done anything, you know, really, but I've been, I've been talking, you know, for years, I've been in support of, and lately I've been trying to really educate myself because my daughter, who's 28, last year, she got super involved with going out and she, you know, and she's um, adopted. And the only reason I talk about, I mentioned that is because she's, She's lately been kind of reaching into like her her past in terms of aboriginal, half of her, like half her father was partly aboriginal. And she's a little activist, hardcore activist herself. And lately last year, she got in the cause of, you know, aboriginal issues and first nations. And we in Canada, all of us, I mean, this is something we should all have been paying attention to because apartheid was literally built on the Canadian Indian Act. And we still have nothing. I mean, all the racism we talk about in America and all this stuff, but we have a lot of the same exact things when it comes to our native population, look at our prison population and all that stuff. And while I've been talking about that and giving it, uh, yeah, yeah, I've never actually done any work on it. My daughter's been doing real work on it, you know, land back work. And she also ended up falling in love while doing that oh. and meeting an amazing guy. And now they both live in our house while they're waiting to have a baby. So I better get involved with this because now I'm Tota. And I'm going to have a, a baby that's, you know, partly First Nations. And so I better educate myself like I should have a long time ago and be activist on that. So that's a personal thing, but also a, a, a national thing that, you know, in the light of Black Lives Matter and stuff, yep. we've been saying a lot this year, Black Lives Matter and Indigenous Lives Matter in Canada, not as a business thing, but as a personal Thing. And I and I regret that I haven't done more before because a lifetime of anti-racism and I can't actually point to anything that I've done, real action for anything, anything to do with the Aboriginal community other than sharing things and saying, oh, yeah, I support you. And Right, right. Yay. You know what I mean? Like, that's nice. That's easy. Great. That's some real work. So my daughter's been doing some real work, and I'm feel called to you know do that too. But also a little girl professional level. But it started as an activist thing. I met a little girl last year, thirteen years. I got her. I'm getting her on Seattle radio this year. The guys that, or this week, and the guys like she's gonna be huge in America. She's thirteen years old. I met her at a demo. One of my clients know, white lady in a tiny, small, little, all-white area. Like Practically, she wanted to do a Black Lives Matter demo because she felt called out when I was like, hey, everybody, you need to be paying attention. And I wasn't even calling her out, but she was like, oh, I haven't done anything. And then she thought she should do something in her little village. To show Black Lives Matter in Orono too, she was saying. But she, went, we, she had to get speakers because she's like, I'm not just going to get up on stage as a white lady and be like, eh, you know. So we get speakers from like all the different areas to speak to their experience and all that. And one of our friends, speakers that came said, Hey, I have a daughter named Bolu, but she, she performs, or not performs, she writes songs. How about if she comes and sings a song that she wrote? We thought, Oh, that'd be so cute. Sure. <laughs> she came, oh my God, she wrote the song on Wednesday. This is a, I mean, Google this too. Bolu, make it right. B O L U is her name, and the song is called Make It Right. Oh my God. Incredible. If you, like, since then, she's won the Women of Inspiration. I, I nominated her for that and she won the Youth Award. And then she won the Zimbabwe Youth Ambassador. She's from Canada, but she's from, you know, like it's um, for people of the diaspora that live in other countries. And yeah, so she's since then we're like, and she, I mean, she's amazing too. And her song was called Make It Right, inspired by Black Lives Matter. And you have to hear it to understand because it's a little plaintive voice that's like 2020, you know, where, where, what's like, what's wrong with you? Where have people, where have we gone so wrong? And what's been done to you people? And it's time to make it right. It's like really positive, but like heartbreak. It, it, It literally changes heart like I've seen people who were like oh oh, we shouldn't have a demo like that blah 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 and then I posted her song I was like this is what happened this was the demo and the the same guy who was sounding like a racist I I won't say that he was I don't know him just a stranger on the internet that was all blustery and mad about the demo and then I I posted that he literally hearted it I was like wow after three days of this guy ranting I'm like what about this do you not like and he was like Everything. Well, <laughs> yeah, so, it's like, it's magic. So, that kind of thing, but it's still that message. My mess, you know, equality, gender equality, yeah. you know, is an issue. Like I said, in the, you know, brought up recently in the cannabis world, but certainly all the time. I work with some amazing women. Of, like, uh, back to when we're talking about, I guess equality is always like in kindergarten when you learn things aren't fair. So, whether it's about race or women or whatever the heck it is, I think things should be fair. Right. And when they're not, I think it's stupid. I'd like to help out. I work with, sense. you know,
0: you know, it makes no sense. Why can't things be fair across the board? And, and and I know it's so deep into our culture and it goes back, you know, 150 years, but that doesn't mean it has to stay the same.
1: Yeah, we have to fight it. We have to really fight it because I'm realizing too, even as an activist of all this time, there was so much I didn't know and so many layers oh. where I still thought I thought, oh, we're better than that now. It's not like the '50s. And then this year, I learned so much when people started talking. oh well, yeah, try to, you know, people, my friends, people I know, people talking about their experiences, even here in Canada. And, and I'm realizing, whoa, we're still like, and the, the it's so much more separated than I thought in terms right. of our experiences and whatever. Right. And if we don't start talking more and understanding more, then it's just getting, you. A, you know, like. Really is getting really worse. Yeah. disturbing.
0: Yeah. Right? So. so then, I always like to ask guests, "What are three books that have impacted you?"
1: Oh, you know what? Jimmy quoted Man, "Man's Search for Meaning" the other day by Victor Frankl, and I was like so impressed because I remember reading that and and also being like, "Wow, that was like that was one of the ones that I." Took things down from, wrote things down, and I didn't remember this quote, but I'll quote Jimmy's because we thinking about and his because we should all think about how do you get through. His is a, something like out uh, of Victor Franco's book. Oh, I guess the Nietzsche quote. Normally I wouldn't quote Nietzsche because Nietzsche quote Nietzsche, they quote in the wrong way, but Victor Franco, like Jimmy said, was fond of quoting Nietzsche, and in the Victor Franco book he quoted Nietzsche, and Nietzsche had said, "He who has a why can get through almost any how." Ooh.
0: He who has a why can get through any how.
1: Yeah. And he said for him, his why was his family, That getting his name so people would know that he was not the one that shot a 17-year-old girl who getting his name back, you know, and his family primarily. That was his why. That's why he's going to keep on going. And we all have to have that. That's good for business, too. That's good for anything really, right?
0: Yeah. So do you have any other books that you, that
1: have impacted Oh, sorry. Another one. I like my, one of my client, the 30% solution to one of my first clients, Lou Bayer, and I have a million author clients. I'm not saying it for that reason. She, um, but it's, it's very much in line with my, what brought me success in business, which is, I can't remember what the subtitle is, but it's basically, uh, she's a civility expert. And she, that 30% is the, no, the bottom line wh- by what percentage research proves that civility in the workplace will affect your bottom line. 30% profit. And that's in terms of retention of employees, retention and attraction of customers. Oh. And so that's what her, and I think that's really interesting just because it talks about kindness and how, you know, you don't have to be bad to be in, right. you don't have to be ruthless to be in business, which is what I thought as an activist, which is why we have, and so when I say that, you know, that understanding, pod, some podcaster said yesterday, it's true. In media, everything we see in like TV, all the bad guys are like, you're the guy who owns a company, you know, Mr. Burns, he's always the bad, evil guy, right? So we think you have to be the bad guy. No, you don't have to be the bad guy. You can be the good guy. And in terms of third, I don't know. That's so hard. I've read so many books in my life and I'm just such a reader and I got so many clients. So I don't know. Can I say another media instead of a book because a huge influence yeah, yeah. of my life? Yeah. Yeah. So I got a, I got a shout out to, I was in, not a 60s girl. In 1980, when John Lennon was killed, I was 10. But John Lennon is probably the single greatest influence, non-family influence of my life. He taught me not just to be an activist, first thing was a peace march. But I remember, you know, when, in those days when you're young enough to internalize what your heroes say, I picked a good hero because I, I I don't remember the exact quote, but he I, he's literally there was a quote. I'm paraphrasing, but he literally said, "Don't follow leaders. If you're, if you like what we're doing, you know, please join us. But if you have a good idea, you do it. Maybe we'll join you." Uh, I remember, and I guess that you know, I was little. Okay. Have you ever been All to right Strawberry then. Fields in New
0: York
1: City? I have, and in Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> so <We> both. <laughs> so
0: I, I always said, so I'm adopted. So you talk about, you know, your daughter. Was oh. adopted. Um, and I always said, if I were to ever write a book, I would title it Imagine because of John Lennon. Why? Yeah. So, oh, how cool. Yeah, and the whole the whole premise, and this was it goes back years because you know, my my adoption was private. so I had no idea, you know what the story, you know, behind it. And so I always imagined this is how it how it was. And so oh, wow. I, I would write this story based upon, what a young girl in high school would go through if she got pregnant, and the choices that she'd have to make. You know, and and I'm I'm a born in the, in the '60s, so what was that like? You know, the, the '60s.
1: Kind of it was a big different story i know my husband well, was adopted too know. and 69 was a day di- it was yeah it was all free love and everything and cool but but if you got pregnant it was still very 50s mentality oh, oh, right, they were still right. sending girls to like the place to go and get you know what i mean like the right. home where they'd all get right. their baby and right. then they'd leave so the neighbors wouldn't know and they'd come yes, back and say it was their sister's baby or, Went you on know, the summer like, camp or whatever yeah yeah exactly it was still that kind of world yeah. it was just changing that's yeah. when that was just the cost but some women were braveful and saying no that's I'm doing it, right? right? But it was it was still like Yeah.
0: Yeah that's <laughs> yeah. so interesting that you picked John Lennon because yeah, my sister-in-law, um, which we call like, my sister in love, she oh. <laughs> she and her husband created a tape of songs, and everybody got their own song one year for Christmas. And the song she picked for me was Imagine by John Lennon. So I'm telling you, yeah, it what a very
1: cool. There you go, sister.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we we definitely I mean what's not to love about um, John Lennon I think on that note I have to say thank you so much for this fabulous conversation. Thank
1: you, it's great to have met you. I feel like I made a new friend as well as yeah. enjoyed this time. So
0: yeah, you keep know, in touch for sure. Your story just tells me that don't give up because just because you don't have potentially the resources right now to do what what you need to do or what you want to do you can get them in the most unbelievable ways. Think about it. I mean, you got to where you
1: are because you helped. You just did it. I know. And then when you look back, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I, it's like, I mean, you couldn't write a better story. Like, it's almost like, right. it's like I made that up. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Well, the, the, like, i I'm like, how could you make up? <laughs> the thing that I,
0: I think about Tracy is, um, is, you know, we have all these podcasts and everything about, Crime solvers and people that are out there investigating all the crimes and everything that's going on out there. And yet you did it. You did it.
1: Which means anybody can do it. Like it's literally, again, if you see an injustice, do something about it. If you can only do a little thing, maybe you can only do a little thing, literally. Because what could I do? Again, I was 28 years old. I barely had money for the stamps to write to Jimmy. Okay. What did we do? The internet was free though. And learning how to make a web page was free in those you know, was free. Yeah. And also learning how to write a press release, that was free. And taking two times out of two hours out of it, I could do that. Didn't know if it was gonna work, but I could write something nothing stopped me from doing that. Then I could go and search those emails. Nothing stopped me from doing that. And then I could press send. Nothing stopped me from doing that. And then I don't know what's going to happen. I can only do what I can do. Maybe nothing would happen. Maybe I would hit a wall and no lawyers would come. And Maybe I could only be the support. Maybe the end of the story would have only been that all we could have done was be a voice that said somebody cares. Right. You know what? We actually did that for some death row prisoners. and And there was one that died. He wasn't an innocent guy. I got a letter after a guy was executed Oof. and it said, literally, we found, I'm going to cry. Like, wasn't well, when we knew that well, like, literally, I'm going to cry. We found it the other day and it literally, he was in the, oh my God, I'm sorry. It's okay. He wrote it from the death house. The, I, I, can't, I think his name, his name was Gary Etheridge. It, him and his brother, you know, ended up going in and one of the, who killed me, whatever, it was not an innocent case, Texas, robbery. He wrote us from the death house, not from death row, meaning from the death house, which is where they take you when they take you from your cell and they put you in the death house because they're going to kill you in six hours. He wrote us like two hours before execution. And he said, thank you for what you've done. Never think you don't make a difference. What you do makes a difference. Somebody had written him. He had two execution dates. And the first one, he said, if I had been executed with my last execution date, he goes, I I would have died evil. Or he seems to be evil. He said, angry, bitter person. He survived that execution date. And between the two, before he had the other, excuse date, somebody wrote him who ended up like caring about him and being family to him, helping him find his daughters and everything. He said, he literally said, thank you, because this has been the best time, by the best years of my life. been this last year on, even on death row, because my heart finally got to love the way the human heart was made to. Oh my God. And he said, I would have been bitter and angry and I would have died bitter and angry. A year ago, six months ago. But now this person came in, helped me, help me find my cancer, was able to say goodbye to me. Like he said, just you know, I don't want you to think I know I'm getting I don't want you to think it's to fail. You know, you guys make a difference. We still have that letter. You should frame that letter. Yeah, that's crazy. Sorry, I've never cried on a podcast before, and that's thank God that wasn't Jimmy Dennis. Can you imagine? But I mean, that was a human being. I'm saying thank God because I didn't know him as well, and he wasn't an innocence case. But you know, what we say in the death penalty work too: we're all, and this is true. Think about this deeply. We are all more than the we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done. Oh. and the, the thing we've ever done might not be as bad as those people. But none of us would want to be judged on the one only, solely your entire life and personhood on that one moment, right? Right. We're not talking about serial killers. We're not talking about people who are like, you know, intrinsically evil that make their, their lives too. We're not talking about that. We're talking right. about like... I totally agree. I, so yeah, on that happy note.
0: No, you know, <laughs> that, that is such a great, that's such a great to talk because, you know, who are we to judge another person? Um, because you don't know where they are at that moment. You don't know what demon or what is right there attacking them. And I think you just said it well if you see an injustice, do something. Yeah. And and just because that person may be guilty of the crime that's been charged doesn't mean that they can't accept love from another human being.
1: Yeah, it doesn't mean we, uh, we don't have to let them free. It's not a person like yeah. Jimmy where we let them free, obviously. But I mean, you know, people can do good in, in prison too.
0: Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful for the opportunity to listen and learn from such great women. So if you enjoyed yourself as much as I did, please feel free to share Braveful podcast with your friends and colleagues, as well as please subscribe to Braveful on your favorite podcast apps. Have the best day ever. And until next time, be braveful.